Meanwhile, I'm looking for a great warrior. Oh. <laughs> Wars not make one great. <laughs> wow, this place is great. Yeah. If you could just go ahead and make sure you do that from now on, that would be great. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Hello and welcome back to the Hall of Greatness. It is a wonderful day for greatness. I am Andy Wilson, your co-host, and with me as usual is... JB, your other co-host. Welcome, everyone. Hello. So, JB and I were talking, and we started talking about movies. We often talk about movies. We talk about... We really do. Movie criticism and what it means to be a critic. But, JB, what was the best movie you saw this summer? You know, we were talking about sort of an old thing that I used to do uh, when my my roommate and uh, Sean and I lived together. We used to... um, save our, our movie tickets when we'd see a a great movie. And I've noticed in recent years that it's kind of dwindled, um, because they're the greatness of a movie. I think it's still out there, but uh, less and less. So, uh, you have traditionally some greater movies, I think that are less well known. Uh, you and I talked about, for instance, three identical strangers, sorry to bother you movies that were, were great, but you know, not the mainstream great movies that people tend to focus on. Uh, but the ticket that I had kept was actually for Mission Impossible yeah. Fallout, which to me, to this point, is is the best uh, mainstream movie I've seen by far. Uh, to with that specific definition, yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you and I have both seen better independent quote unquote films, uh, but but Mission Impossible was the best. Funny enough, and you and I both talked about this. It was right after I saw The Meg, and it was a pretty stark contrast between a movie that I really enjoyed and a movie I wanted to enjoy but couldn't for a variety of reasons. The Meg, proving that bigger is not always better. This this (laughs) discussion of two movies that we see back-to-back that are both please us and disappoint us for some similar and some very different reasons. So there is a con job that goes on Every time you watch an advertisement, they are trying to sell you soap. You are going to pretend that they are not selling you soap. Okay. And you are going to allow yourself to be told a story that is not about Tide detergent and the fact that it has Febreze in it, but it's about your family. It's about that feeling you get when you smell fresh laundry. It's about how you feel when you use that soap. No, they're just selling you soap, but they're going to pretend that they're not selling you soap. You're going to pretend that they're not and everybody's okay. And we just, we just allow this to happen. And that way you don't feel like you are being manipulated by advertising and advertising doesn't uh, feel quite so overt. One of the problems with, a summer movie is if you go in and you don't set aside that sort of reasonable suspension of disbelief, then uh, the, the entire con breaks down. There is a limit to which you are going to allow them to to play with you, but you you know what you're getting when you go in to see a movie like The Meg. You're like, it's a big dumb shark movie. That's okay. That's what I'm affecting. Just 
don't be too dumb and don't don't play with me too much. Okay. Uh, the Meg. Okay. It it did that, and it so it broke the rule of the con. Uh, whereas Mission Impossible was exactly the opposite. We we got the con. We were okay with the con, and everyone everyone felt good at the end of it. So I I think we we talked a little bit about this. Like if you look at let's take the Meg to start. Uh, I actually thought the first forty five to sixty minutes of the Meg was was very entertaining because to your point, I saw the soap advertisement and it was just the right amount of mm-hmm. soap for me to live in that suspension of disbelief. The characters were entertaining. Uh, they they kept the the shark relatively hidden. Uh, had the the stereotypical funny action movie one liners, right? It had the moody brooding hero, which so eloquently described in Demolition Man. Uh, you're actually the moody gunslinger, not the the hero that we all want. That kind of thing. There's right. the kid in peril. Yep. Um, all of that leads to that good suspension of disbelief. And then I felt like the second hour, as soon as the shark eats the other shark, spoiler alert, I went, oh, this this is that Hollywood trope crap where I, I can no longer buy into this movie. Like, this is just extraordinarily disappointing. Well, and it did exactly what most sequels do where, you know, that's where the Meg should have ended to a certain extent. The shark is okay. dead. And then you're... And then you come back for the sequel that's even more ridiculous. Oh, guess what? There's another shark, and it's bigger and even more dangerous. But what they decided to do (laughs) was say, no, screw that. We're going to add that on as a third act. That's the third act of our movie. And you're like, wait, so what you're saying is you're going to make a pretty decent movie that everyone's going to be on board with, and then you're going to make the big stupid sequel as your third act. Yeah, no. Right. You're going to put it in the first movie instead of right. something useful. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think two other parts that, that lead into the, the our next discussion is I think good movies make bad guys believable. And we'll talk about this more in Mission Impossible, but my problem with the Meg is the shark just wasn't – I didn't buy it. Like, he ate the whale. I get it. Oh. But he swims through all this, the swimmers at the beach. Uh, gr- granted, he pops the guy in the bubble, right. which everyone wanted to happen, right? But right. There, there wasn't any... I didn't get the sense that the shark was anything but a shark who was just doing shark things. So, yeah. yeah like, Jaws. Point. Okay, Jaws is, was... Of course, you... You and I talked about that in the Spielberg trip ditch. Jaws is one of those movies that just transcends mm-hmm. the soap commercial. Because now I'm terrified of soap. Right. Also water. I don't want either one of them. But Jaws was just, everything about him was so visceral. Um, mm-hmm. We'll talk about Henry Cavill's mustache, which I will call Jaws from now on. Because it was sort of the, the thing that I viscerally ended up hating for good reason. Right. Uh, the second part, and, right. and before you you answer that, because I know you had a thought about that too, uh, I don't like a movie where science is so poorly uh, demonstrated uh, that yeah. that I like I can't can't. You want me to disbelieve a little bit of science? Okay. You want me to believe that there's this layer of foam that. 
kept us away from the Mariana Trench for all these years? Like, come on. And then the shark, of course, swims through it and through a thermo event. And I, I just I get to the point where um, I, I get it. But that was just one of those things where the, the science was so poorly done that um, the people who went with me were eventually tired of me going, it's a layer of foam, right. really a layer of foam. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, the, one of the problems is when you set up the rules for your movie, you're supposed to follow those rules. And that layer of foam okay. is supposed to be impenetrable. And then, oh, there was only this one time <laughs> where, uh, you know, because we went down there to go rescue the other submarine, then one shark escaped because there was just this tiny little window. Oh, no, right. we broke that rule. And now there's a second shark that we didn't even ever notice until just now. Uh, second. Right. Yeah. Second, when you're in the water, don't splash because that attracts the sharks. And just one person, that megalodon is going to be like, oh, I hear Jason Statham splashing. I'm going to go after him. Shows up to the beach of 10,000 people splashing. <laughs> yeah, no, nope, don't care. It's like, uh, hi, I'm a, I'm a big hungry shark. I'm going to yeah. show up at this all-you-can-eat buffet. And, uh, no, never mind. Yeah, no, not interested. Right. It's like, you're not following yeah. your own rules. Eat a whale, like, but not. 7,000 swimmers right. in the water. That makes right. no sense. So, I mean, they just didn't have the guts to go ahead and be like, yeah, the man's going to just, like, kill 800 people right now. And we don't care because it's a giant, stupid right. shark movie. And who cares about these people anyway? They're on the beach. So what? Right. Yeah. Right. They didn't give us a reason to care. But sadly, they also didn't give us a reason to care about the shark, which I think was sad. Yeah. And, and you know, yeah, there there wasn't... I You kind of want to be able to root for the shark at, at some point. And yeah, there wasn't right. there wasn't any reason for that. There also wasn't any reason to necessarily root for our heroes because there wasn't anything that like, oh, I really want them to live for all of these reasons. It's like, no, but it, it just at the end of the day, I was just like ambivalent about the fates of most of these characters. And, and the other thing that I, I dislike when a movie does is I, I don't mind special effects. Uh, I mean, I, you and I are both Marvel movie fans. They're they're laden with special effects. They do most of them to a point where I go, okay, that's fine. But if you're riding a shark 80 feet in the air and you stab the shark in the eye and then you right. fall down into the ocean and one, the shark doesn't crush you and two, you don't break both your legs from landing into the water. Like just, it just, I mean, at that point, I, I was already so tired of it that, that I didn't care, but um, that whole second hour was so, so full of ridiculousness that um, I was a little ashamed or was, I was a little disappointed. And I, I recognize when you and I have our critic podcast, we, we talk a lot about uh, that. We, we make sure we rate movies appropriately, but I think even in this case, this movie was just so dumb. Yeah. So that, dumb. I mean, just, it, it, yeah. it's the con. It's like, okay, I wasn't expecting the Meg to be smart. I, I didn't need it to be smart. Right. I just needed it to not be so overt that it reminded me that they were trying to sell me soap. That's, I just I didn't want them to yeah. take away the veneer of the con. It's like, okay, we, we both know what this hookup is. 
I'm not expecting a lot out of this. You're not expecting a lot out of this. I think the biggest problem I had is I didn't want them. I didn't mind that they sold me soap. I just didn't want them to wash my mouth out with it. Oh, good point. But, you know, it's it's so. like, hey, you know, if if you're both okay with this, I'm buying a ticket. I'm going to go see a big dumb shark movie. Fine. I'm going to be entertained by a big dumb shark movie. I'm not going to put any expectations onto it. Just don't be terrible about it. And and the right. Meg for like as you said started off fulfilling all of those needs and then it was like yeah no it just it just fell by the wayside. Yeah. But what didn't and why it was great was Mission Impossible Fallout. What what to you okay. made Mission Impossible Fallout so great? So the the interesting thing when and all the things we brought up in the Meg I think is sort of the the opposite and and the improvement in Mission Impossible, where uh, I, I know you're going to talk about one specific tie-in. Um, the the bad guys, of course, as I told you, Henry Cavill's mustache, which I call Jaws, very viscerally dislikable. Uh, Solomon had both a demeanor and his whole persona, how he spoke, I thought was very viscerally uh, unappealing, which made him a good bad guy. Um Cavill, of course, played his part to a T, but I, th- I think, and you brought this up, I think whereas the Meg did science so poorly, Mission Impossible did politics so well. They set it up how we would want, like person A wants to see themselves on CNN, they did, and the con was it wasn't really CNN, right? So there was there was a lot of con, but it wasn't enough other than to be entertained. And you, you brought this up that uh, Macquarie does this really well about you know his, his ability to uh, do that, but also the, the magician piece of, of how not only he writes, but how he directs. Right. And Macquarie, Ralph Macquarie, the director of, and writer of Mission Impossible Fallout, is a great writer. Uh, you and I both love some of his earlier scripts. The Usual Suspects, I think, is one of if not maybe the best script of like the last 30 years uh the way of the gun is a great movie mm-hmm. and you know he's been doing solid work with tom cruise uh for the most part for the last decade or so um, with all of these other films jack reacher edge of tomorrow uh and that that's solid work i feel like he took it to a next level here with possible fallout because it's the, the okay. same brilliance that I saw in The Usual Suspects. And again, Usual Suspects, it's a con job. And, okay. you know, you don't know that you're getting tricked until the very end. And Macquarie brought that same element into Mission Impossible Fallout. And the audience is along for the con. We know who these guys are. They're spies, they're liars, they put on masks, they pretend. And uh, it's it's just like going to a magic show. We want to see the magician fool us. That is part and parcel of the act and why we bought our ticket. Uh, and so every time we get fooled, we feel good about it. Hey, this is what we signed up for. Okay. And, and even more importantly, if you saw through the artifice of it, and you knew what was going to happen, and you're like, aha, 
I figured it out. I'm smart. So either way, you have a great time with Mission Impossible. Either you're along for the ride, you get tricked, or you feel better about yourself because you figured it out early. Right. Uh, there are directors who do this much less well. M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, and, uh, that, but Macquarie does such a good job with this here and the entire movie, we, we are just beat over the head that failure is an option here. Things will go very badly and can go very badly. I mean, the whole time I was, I was literally wondering, is Tom Cruise going to die in this movie? I mean, he could, they've talked about this being the last okay. mission impossible movie that he does for the last three Mission Impossible movies. And they set it up so directly and you're left guessing the whole time. And it's just such a fun ride. Yeah, I think from the very beginning, I mean, you and I both felt the same way. It was a really quick stage set, a little exposition from previous movies, a little bit about new characters, how they fit. But then throughout, they sort of weave back in some of the backstory like Solomon, you know, that's not necessarily at the beginning, but they're able to weave it in quickly into the first hour. You you brought up something really interesting, though, because one of the parts you and I talked about was the helicopter part. Oh, the helicopter. Which was a little brazen, a little over the top, but you mentioned something about the movie trope of Chekhov's gun. So uh, go into that a little bit. Right. Well, not just, yeah, not just a movie trope, but I mean, this goes back to theater right. tropes. Uh, Chekhov, the Russian playwright, uh, said... That if a character locks a gun, places it on the mantelpiece in Act 1, then by Act 3, someone must take that gun and fire it at another character. This movie telegraphs so many things. And you're, you're like, oh, that's going to that's happen. That's going to come into play later. And you wait for it, and you anticipate it, and you love it when it happens. There, the, especially right. the stuff with the helicopter. It's like, oh, that that hook on the end of the rope is going to be important. Something is going to happen, and when the payoff happens, what happened in your theater? Oh, everybody loved the hook going through Henry Cavill's head, and people cheered and clapped, and and when no one blew up at the end, everybody clapped and was very excited. I mean, it was. It was. Now I know people have a thing about clapping in the theater and jumping up and down and stuff. But when a movie does it well, I, I think it's, it's easily justifiable to, to have people do right. that. So, right. And yeah. it's fun and it, it's, it's okay. We don't mind that we're being sold. soap. we don't right. mind that we're getting conned by this movie. We love it. And that to me so, is ultimately the difference between mission impossible and the Meg. Because they oversold it in the Meg. Mid Impossible did it so perfectly that it is like the quintessential great summer movie. Yeah. And I think you could have done it with the Meg. You could have. I think that that was the frustrating part is you've seen movies like the Meg who pull it off. It's not like you don't have plenty of, you know, horror slash action films in your Jaws, Jurassic Parks, you know, um, not Congo, but <laughs> <laughs> but you have plenty of these these movies where there is the uh, the science trope, the 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 big bad animal whatever trope, and and they make it soap that you want to buy. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but 
um, you want to pick different scents and you want it to come back and you, you know, you want the sale again. But um, I, I think right. it, it was, it was just one of those things where it probably would have been easier for the Meg to do it because they started off doing it. And, and then it just got overwhelmed. Right. I, I think another good example of where they did this in, in a very similar, you know, what was essentially uh, monster movies uh, was uh, Kong Skull okay. Island and the last Godzilla movie. And, you know, and they're teeing us up for uh, Kong King right. of Monsters. Or, excuse me, Godzilla King of Monsters. And uh, the the madness that that looks like it's going oh, to yeah. be. And, uh, you know, they... I think, again, they did that really well. Kong Skull Island is not like, oh my gosh, this is the best movie ever. Oh, this is so good. But it just... It, it, it didn't overplay its hand. And it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think Kong suffered from that same problem of some filmmakers when they run out of ideas. I think they they rely too much on the the overwrought action scenes. Um, I think there were a couple parts when I went, no, you don't don't go back through the Skull Valley, you know. Um, I think those are the traditional Hollywood tropes as we talked about, but. I think it, it, to your point, it did well enough. I was really impressed with Godzilla, um, the new one. I, I thought that movie had very little problems. Um, I know people complained about the fat Godzilla, uh, which whatever, right? Um, I, I thought that movie was pretty consistent in terms of engaging plot, decent characters, good use of bad guys, good thematic tie-in to... Godzilla sort of representing self-correction of nature, getting no credit for it. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I thought I thought it was a, a pretty good uh, representation of not only what a movie should be, but the subtle tie-in. And, and you and I have talked about that with like the old Godzilla, how there's that nuclear bomb tie-in to the theme of Godzilla and, and what natural disasters are and what man-made disasters are. And I think the new Godzilla kept pretty close to the vest on some of that. I will be interesting to see when you add all of my favorite Godzilla bad guys into it, how in the world you're going to keep that movie under. Oh, they're hours. not. No, I don't um, know. I mean, yeah, we'll see. It's it, that movie could yeah. be crazy. It could be, it could be a crap show. We don't know, but yeah. I mean, I always hope that that movies are good rather than movies are bad. Um, but yeah, but there was just enough of a serious edge in them and in Mission Impossible that also made it feel like this is not just, you know, I'm not just watching Sharknado, that there's there's something, uh, there's a redeeming message right. here about humanity that, that feels good. Yeah, I, I think the only bummer, going back to the Godzilla thing, is I wish Gareth had stayed on. Um, I'm, I'm not opposed to Michael Doherty, but I, I think his... The, the movies that Gareth Edwards did would have been more representative of what you do with a bunch of solid monsters. Agreed. As much as I liked X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs> I, I liked when Apocalypse decided to like become Tim Gunn for the second two-thirds of the movie and make everyone do a fashion show. I'm like, hey, everybody. Hey everybody, we're going to make new costumes for yeah. your super villainy. <laughs> make it work, people. That was my favorite part of X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah, there wasn't a there wasn't a ton of great um, parts of. I mean, it was all right, but it, yeah, it was cliche. It, it was there was another one of those that was too much soap. 
No, there were there was there were some great parts in X-Men. Yeah, some of the X-Men movies get a little too much soap. A little a little too much, a little over the top. Uh well yeah, well I think that's uh, I think the the one thing to end on uh is the other thing I like about Macquarie is a point that you made which is Macquarie doesn't try to make you think he's a genius. He just does movies to entertain you in a way that doesn't insult you. And there's another Christopher who you and I both have sort of a problem with that. And, and I think we should just mention it here and maybe we talk about it in, in other podcasts. But uh, why don't you tell us <laughs> which Christopher that is and, and give us a little background on this. <laughs> and, and here's the part of the podcast where we start to bag on Christopher Nolan. I'm sorry. Okay. First, let me say, I think that Christopher Nolan is a very talented director and there are yes. several of his movies that I like very much. Being said, yes. Christopher Nolan, stop trying so hard. Stop trying to prove how much smarter you are than all of us. Just make a fun movie. Just yeah. quit it with the gimmicks. Quit it with the tricks. Just, just make a fun movie. So uh, I like the first two Batman movies. Did not like the third right. Batman movie. Oh. Oh. I know, right? Just stop talking and dragging this movie out. That movie could have been an hour right. and 20 minutes. And, and this goes back to, you know, what what I think is maybe his best movie is The Prestige, where he, he talks about magic and, and the secrets of it. And the entire movie is a play on those bits of how you pull off a magic trick. There's a little bit of winking at the audience, but it's fairly minimal. It's just straightforward and good. That's what you should do. I uh, I I like m- most of his movies as movies go. Uh, I think Following was was good. Memento was great um, for especially for what it was. That was one where yeah. I, th- I think might have tried to be a little smarter than the audience was ready for. Uh, but I I appreciated everything about it. I think Insomnia was totally underrated. Um, oh, definitely. From the critic, yeah. From the people's perspective, I think critics really liked it, but I, I don't think the audience right. liked it as much as they should have. Uh, Prestige, you're right. I think Inception kind of had that memento thing, where eventually I just sort of wanted him to get to the story, and right and do it. Um, Interstellar, you and I both agree. I just that was a slog. That movie to me, that had so many good parts. It was it it was such an interesting, well made movie, but. It just felt like a slog, like just right. trying to get through it. Um, and and I actually really like Dunkirk um, more more than I thought I would. So I like I like, again, I like Dunkirk a lot. I the the saddest thing about Dunkirk was I'm like, okay, I want the next movie with Tom Hardy in a POW camp. Like right. that was the element of the story that I liked the most. And okay. uh, you know, it, I wish he would have messed with the timeline a little bit less, told the story a bit more straightforwardly so that um, we aren't sitting there being impressed by his gimmickry and instead we can just enjoy the story and the movie and the artistry because it was beautifully shot. The sound design in that movie is phenomenal. Uh, Yeah, and and I just, you know, I would have said like, Chris, let's do one more polish on the script. Let's 
do a little bit less of the time jumping and uh, let's focus a bit more on the on the things that we really care about here. And I think uh, he does tend to deal with much more substantive topics, but I think that's self-selected. Uh, I would be really interested to see if you handed Insomnia or Dark Knight or something to Macquarie to see what he would have done with it. Would it have been the same kind of movie? Would it have been more of a noir mystery kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like they have a lot of similarities in sometimes how they set up their movies, but how they end up pulling off the, how they end up selling the soap becomes very different. Right. Just as long as we don't get Tom Cruise's Batman, I I think I'm okay with that. Oh, short, short Batman. Yeah, very short <laughs> Batman. <laughs> so oh, I, I think that, yeah, I think that wraps it up mostly. Um, let's, yeah. let's talk about what is great this week. Uh, speaking of summer movies, a movie that many people may have missed is Sorry to Bother You by Boots Riley. Okay. I think that while Mission Impossible Fallout was the best sort of quote-unquote summer movie, I think Sorry to Bother You is the best film that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, it is strange. It is out there. It is uh, it is critical of capitalism and other things that we might not think about being very critical towards. But uh, it is very fun. It's very odd. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the movies of Spike Jones and Terry Gilliam and uh, Michelle Gondry and, and how out there they are. And it has this absolutely gonzo last 20 minutes. A, a lot of people that I've talked to okay. were really turned off by the, the ending. And they're like, oh, I was with it up until this point. Uh, I... I'm right there. There was a certain point. Again, I'm not one for like talking in the theater and yelling at the screen, but something happened and I went, what the F? Like, mm -hmm. I, I was like floored, but it kind of made sense. And uh, I just, I love the audacity of it. And I love every, everything about how passionate they were about the subject and what they were trying to say. So uh, I just, I thought it was great and uh, sorry to bother you. Okay. Probably not in many theaters anymore, but look for it coming out hopefully on video fairly soon. And I am betting that this starts getting some Oscar buzz towards the end of the year as well. Uh, I'm going to stay on that movie theme with you. Cause I think that's, it's a good theme to be able to bring up uh, other films that people might not, be able to see now luckily in utah we have both broadway and tower theaters as you remember both of which focus specifically on rarer independent films uh, so i'm lucky to, to to live fairly close to those so i can i can see them uh, i've seen some i was not as impressed with uh, american animals i wanted to really like but i don't i don't think it i it couldn't pick what kind of movie it was so whereas the subject matter was really interesting, the acting was really good, uh, it, it just wavered too much. A movie that didn't do that is the one I want to talk about, which is called Three Identical Strangers. Um, it is really hard for me to talk about this movie without giving away exactly how completely messed up what happens in this movie. Uh, 
But basically, uh, these these three strangers are all triplets, but they've never met each other. One meets uh, some of the friends that the other triplet had had at college. They find out they were identical, which they think twins at the time. Picture gets in the newspaper. Strangely enough, a third sees them in the newspaper, calls, and now we have three identical triplets. Hey, that guy looks like me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they all lived within, I believe they said, 50 or 70 miles with each other in New York. This movie turns into this, and if you haven't seen it, feel free to skip ahead for a couple minutes of this podcast, but it basically turns into the three of them were experiments. They were research subjects at, for an adoption clinic uh, to determine parenting uh, and and separation. So are triplets the same as normal uh, single children, right? Uh, given different parenting styles, those kinds of things. So this movie starts as this, those of you who have seen it know, it starts as a very uplifting, heartwarming uh, look at these three, three kids being reunited, but then it turns into this, like you couldn't have written it like this. That took a very dark um, turn, yeah. <laughs> one of many sets of twins and triplets that were taken away and put into different foster homes and filmed and studied throughout their childhood. Um, none of the data has been released. It's all still sealed until um, I think another couple of decades by court order. Um, but it, it is, it goes from this fairy tale uh, reunited family to this crazy um, look at, at what happens when research isn't checked and these kinds of things. And uh, as someone who does research myself, it, it was it highlighted very much the danger of having a really interesting question, but not being able to do it ethically. And you and I talk a lot about ethics. And this is this movie is a perfect example of uh, a fascinating research question, a research question, which is probably pretty important which is is nature more powerful than nurture um but one that if left unbridled causes a lot of pain um as it did for this family so it was great it was it was directed really well um i think it was very sincere everyone in it uh, i i think did not hold back and and took really difficult subject matter and and really spoke to the heart of it um, so if you haven't seen it and you skipped ahead, uh, please go see it and, and just be in awe of uh, what these these people went through in the name of science. Science. Very interesting. Wow. That's pretty Science. That, that's awesome. I, I yeah. love that. Uh, so two mainstream blockbusters, The Meg and Mission Impossible, and then two recommendations for three identical strangers. And sorry to bother you. Uh, that's a pretty good encapsulation of yep. Summer Movies 2018. <laughs> so uh, that was that was great. Yeah. Thanks, JB, for, yep. for joining me here. I'd like to thank all of you for joining us. Uh, if you would, go to iTunes and leave us a review. That will help us uh, get more subscribers, have other people find the podcast, or wherever you are downloading this podcast from, stop in, leave us a review. Come to the website at thehallofgreatness.com. Leave us a comment uh, or talk to us on social media, on Twitter or on Facebook. And let us know what you think is great. And we will see if we can talk about it. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm JB. And this could have been worse. Meanwhile, 
Shut this off. Shut these all up. I'm warning you, turning off these machines would be extremely hazardous. I'll tell you what's hazardous. You're facing federal prosecution for at least a half a dozen environmental violations. Now, either you shut off these beams or we shut them up for you. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. You shut that thing down and we are not going to be held responsible for whatever happens. No, we won't be. Shut it off. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice. They never fail to be kind. Don't shut it off. I'm warning you. I, I've never seen anything like this before. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not interested in your opinion. Just shut it off. Could be worse. And to make a long story short, too late. It's worse. Shut it off.